Welcome to the Village Church Podcast. Thanks for stopping by and taking the time to listen. We've prayed that this podcast channel blesses and encourages the Village family. So lean in with an open heart, eager to grow, and enjoy the episode. Well, good morning. If I was at home now, I'd say morena whanau. If I could be invited to preach on any Sunday, in any church, anywhere in the world, it would either be today or Easter Sunday. Palm Sunday, which is today, to me is one of the most profound days in history. And it's my honor and privilege this morning to share from the Word the story around Palm Sunday. I've prayed into this morning. I've prepped the Word. I'm ready to fire. I'm ready to go. I really am. And I hope you're ready to go as well. The Spirit of the living God is here this morning. And He's looking for fertile soil to plant the seed of his word. Amen. And I believe that whenever we get together as brothers and sisters in Christ, we shouldn't be in that mode where we're going to just take down three points in a sermon in our notebooks and then we're going to go home and eat our chicken or whatever it is you got for lunch and the day just carries on as if nothing's actually happened. There is the possibility this morning that the spirit of the living God could take the word of the living God and implant it into your very need and situation and bear fruit right here in this auditorium this morning. Amen? We have an unchanging king and an unsh- who has an unshakable kingdom. And if ever we need an unchanging king in our lives with an unshakable kingdom, it is in this, this very shaky world that we live in right now. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. He does not waver. He is who he is, and he never changes. Amen? And if he healed the sick back then, he heals the sick today, regardless of your theology. Amen? Are you with me? And he will break through when there's an atmosphere of faith, where there is faith soil that is ready to receive the word. It's amazing what the spirit of God actually does to the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. There are two kinds of environment we can have this morning. We can have a Nazareth environment where because of their over-familiarity and their lack of faith, Jesus could only lay his hands on a few sick and they got healed. Or we can have a Gennesaret culture when we gather together. And so Jesus moved from Nazareth to Gennesaret. And when he went to Gennesaret, they heard that he was coming. They left all the theologians back there. They knew that he was coming and they ran through the countryside and they brought all the sick and all the lame. And it says that when Jesus entered Gennesaret, the region of Gennesaret, he healed everyone. And we've got to learn to establish in our own lives and in our own gatherings, in our own whānau, a Gennesaret culture where anything is possible because the living God, the Holy Spirit, is here this morning. Amen. Amen. Today is Palm Sunday. I love teaching about Palm Sunday. And so we're going to learn this morning. I'm going to slow down because I feel I want to explode. I'm going to slow down. We're going to get to God's Word. We're going to read 
the account of Palm Sunday from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 21 and Luke chapter 19. We're going to get into the Word. But do you know that behind every story, there's a backstory? And so I have to pause a little before we launch into Matthew 21 and Luke 19. I've got to give you a quick backstory so that when I read, when we read the account of the triumphal entry, we will know the significance of what took place 2,000 years ago when the God-man, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, rode on the back of a donkey into Jerusalem. It's more than just cartoons for Sunday school. It was one of the most profound events outside of the cross that was taking place on Palm Sunday. Are you ready for the word this morning? Yes. Amen. I, I, I want to invite you. This is a, a, little, a little bit weird. You might find this weird. But you know, the Spirit of God can heal you of your sickness and your disease where you are seated. And I don't mind people interrupting me when I preach. But don't, don't interrupt me with your theology. Interrupt me when you get healed by the power of God. There are people here with pain this morning. There are people that are struggling with sickness and disease. And if you get miraculously healed where you are seated or you, you are struggling with pain, please feel free to stand up and just wave. You can interrupt me at any time. Amen? For any other reason, the ashes are going to throw you out. Okay. We've actually got a bell in our church building. And... Uh, Anyone's free to come and ring the bell at any time when they get healed. And that bell's been rung over coffee after the service. It's been rung before the service, been rung during the service. Maybe the Spirit of God wants you to ring your bell by shaking your hand this morning. Amen. Cool. The backstory of the triumphal entry. I'm going to read this pretty quickly, but I want to show you something of the backstory before we read about the triumphal entry. In Psalm 118, for those taking notes, from verses 24 to 29. Psalm 118, verses 24 to 29. I'm going to go quickly through this to give you some of the backstory, and then we're going to get into the account in the Gospel of Matthew. In verse 24, it says, and I'm reading from the NIV 1984 version, it says, this is the day the Lord has made. Can you please say the day? Amen. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. There'll be rejoicing and gladness here this morning. Oh Lord, save us. Oh Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine upon us. With boughs in hand, or branches in hand, that's where Palm Sunday comes from. With boughs in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give you thanks. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And his love endures forever. Amen. That is a, a messianic psalm about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the God King, who was to come into the world. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, I'll read it quickly. In, in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. Shout, joy, daughters of Jerusalem. See, See, your king 
Your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Wow. What an incredible prophecy, amen? Then Daniel chapter 9. I'm going to just hover here a little. This freaks me out, Daniel chapter 9. It's incredible. Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. I bumped into one of the uh, Paul Cody boys uh, uh, last Saturday at the viaduct in Auckland. And he was running around with a couple of other people. He had his iPad with him. And I, I saw him and I said, what are you doing? He says, no, we're treasure hunting. It was like a form of orienteering where you get given uh, coordinates and things to direct you to a, to, a, to a prize. And that's what this passage in Daniel chapter 9 is all about. It's an awesome passage. Listen to this. Verse 20. Well, in verse 1 to 4 of Daniel 9, let me read it to you very quickly. You there? I don't hear pages anymore. I hope you're not on the internet. In fact, we're going to actually read from verse 25. In Daniel chapter 9 from verse 1, Daniel the prophet, he's actually reading the scroll of Jeremiah. And he suddenly realizes, he's reading the scroll of Jeremiah, this, this prophet Daniel, and he realizes that the 70-year that prophesied captivity in Babylon has actually come to an end. It's incredible. And he doesn't stand and go, whoopee, it's prophesied 70 years. He begins to intercede and travail and he cries out to God. The state of the nation of Israel are in captivity, they're in bondage, and he cries out, he pours out his heart before the Lord, he confesses his sin and the sin of his people, and it's an incredible thing because he's crying out for the salvation and the redemption of the oppressed people of Israel who are in captivity. And don't you love the humor of God? He sends in answer to Daniel's prayer, he sends him the archangel Gabriel, the messenger angel, with a code with an orient, orienteering bunch of clues as to what he's going to do. And so in verse 25, the angel Gabriel appears to Daniel and he says, Daniel, no one understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the NIV says ruler, but it's actually king, until the king or the anointed one comes, there'll be seven sevens and 62 sevens, it will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. And after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. We're just talking about the crucifixion of the anointed one. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end. And desolations have been decreed. It's an incredible thing. God sends Gabriel to give Daniel a code. Now I'm going to give you the code. Seven times sevens and the 62 times sevens. What on earth is actually being said here? I haven't got time to unpack it this morning, but I'm indebted to the, to, to Sir Robert Anderson, who was the head of Scotland Yard in the 1800s. He wrote a book called The Coming Prince. And, uh, I'm sure in reading this book, he actually decodes what this formula actually is. It's profound. Listen to this. What he is saying is that from the issuing of the decree, as it says here, to rebuild Jerusalem. Now, we know that very date because it's in the book of Nehemiah. Artaxerxes Longimanus 
gave an instruction that they could rebuild Jerusalem, and the book of Nehemiah gives us the exact date. Just remember that. Are you with me? Which was the 14th of March, 445 BC. Just track with me. On the 14th of March, 445 BC, according to Nehemiah chapter 2, Artaxerxes Longimanus gave the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. So what is Gabriel saying to Daniel? You see, Jews speak of weeks of days, weeks of weeks, and weeks of years. And so what Gabriel was actually saying to Daniel was that from the 14th of March, 445 B.C., there will be the passing of exactly 173,880 days. 173,880 days later, the Father in heaven was going to reveal to the world His one and only Son, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Profound. The calendar back then was not 365 days in a year, it was 360. This is incredible. Now, I want you to just remember that because we're going to go and read the account of the triumphal entry. 14th of March, 445 BC, 173,880 days later, we have Palm Sunday. (laughs) Woo! We have Palm Sunday. The 10th of Nisan or the 6th of April, 32 AD. And we're going to read in the triumphal entry when Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if only thy had have known of this day of thy visitation. And he held them accountable for not knowing of that day. The first advent of the Son of God, the King of all kings, was actually a calendar date, a day. And that's why Jesus wept over Jerusalem, because he held the religious leaders in the nation accountable for missing his unveiling to the world. It was an exact day, the 6th of April, 32 AD. Wow. I love this day. Because it carries such significance. Amen. Now, are you ready to read the account of the triumphal entry? You happy? I'm happy. Let's move on. Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 21, please. Don't you love the Word of God? It's very cool. No human being could have written this. You know what I'm saying. They did, but under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Awesome. Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her side. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Through the prophet, say to the daughters of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. 
They brought the donkey and the colt. They placed their cloaks on them and Jesus sat on them. <laughs> a very large crowd spread, spread, their, yeah, spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna. Psalm 118, the Messianic Psalm. Hosanna. Hosanna to the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, God save us. The Savior of the world has been revealed. He has been unveiled. Up until that point, Jesus Christ prevented them from making him king. He even told the demons to keep quiet. But this is the first time in the ministry of Jesus Christ where he allows, he actually prepares for his unveiling to the world. <laughs> wow. Let's move on. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? Who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple area. He drove out all those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Mark's gospel, Jesus said, my house is, it will be a house of prayer for all nations. Verse 14, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that he did and the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, Jesus replied. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? And he left them and he went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. Now we haven't got time, but in, 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 in Luke's gospel, Luke's account says that when Jesus, after they had said, tell your disciples to keep quiet, Luke's account records that Jesus said, if they don't cry out, these very rocks will cry out. And he wept over Jerusalem. If only you had have known this day, this day of thy visitation. And we know what actually happens. He curses the fig tree. The fig tree was a metaphor for Israel. And a tree without fruit is a leafy tree. It's a religious tree, but it's got no fruit. And Jesus turned and he actually said, I will take the kingdom away from you and I'm going to give it to a people who will produce its fruit. And so I believe that from this account, there are three reflection points I want to give you today from this incredible account of the triumphal entry. And the first one is this, and it actually comes out of verses 10 and 11 of, of Matthew 21. And I want to challenge you to reflect on these things. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, asked, who is this? The crowd answered, this is Jesus the prophet. The first point of reflection is this. 
Who is Jesus to you? Every single disciple of Jesus Christ has to answer that question. Jesus said to his disciples, who do you say I am? Some say you're a prophet. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're a rabbi. Some say you're a teacher. But who do you say I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for it was not flesh nor blood that that revealed this you, but my father in heaven. And whatever you bind on this earth will be bound. He said, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. The kingdom that Jesus was, was, was bringing to Israel on the back of a donkey. This unchanging king and this unshakable kingdom that was being in, inaugurated as he was riding into Jerusalem. He said, I'll give you the keys to that kingdom. And whatever you bind on this earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on this earth will be loosed in heaven. In other words, whatever you prevent on this earth is already prevented in heaven in the name of Jesus. Whatever you loose, whatever you, you, you permit in the name of Jesus will be permitted. It's a binding and loosing. It was based on the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. For Nazareth to say, oh, he's the carpenter's son. For them here in verses 11 and 12, oh, who is he? He's just a prophet. He's a prophet from Galilee. You see, my brothers and sisters, your revelation of who Jesus Christ is, the point of reflection, who is Jesus to you? Is he an optional extra? Is he an insurance policy in case things go wrong this side of eternity? Or is he the Christ of the son of the living God? Is he the king? Is he the supreme king that was riding on a donkey into Jerusalem? Because if that is your confession, the next point of reflection is this, which is a huge one. What is your response? And what are you going to do about it? Your revelation of who Christ is will have a profound impact on your response and your response on your life. And so it's an incredible thing because the second point of reflection this morning comes from Mark's account of the triumphal entry. In Mark chapter 11, verses 9 and 10, it says that those who went ahead of those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then verse 10 says, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Coming kingdom wasn't just a king on a donkey, but he was bringing in the reality of his kingdom. He had to offer it to Israel, and then he knew what was going to happen. That's why he went to the cross, but he offered it and withdrew it and gave it to someone else. Another group as you, the body of Christ, so that you would produce its fruit, so that you would be the fruitful, the fruitful, the fruitful vine. Matthew chapter 13, the message of the gospel of the kingdom said Jesus is like a man who scatters seed and it falls of different kinds of soil. 75% of the soil's got problems. It's receiving the seed, but it doesn't understand the seed. 25% of the seed falls on good soil. And Jesus actually says that the good soil stands. The good soil stands for those who hear the message of the gospel of the kingdom. They receive it. They receive, they hear it, they acknowledge it, and they receive it. And you know what they do? They produce kingdom fruit, 30, 60, 
and a hundredfold. He then tells them about a parable of wheat and weeds. And he tells them that, uh, that this age, because I've withdrawn the kingdom and I, I'm going to give the kingdom to, to the Gentiles and those who believe in him and uh, those, who, uh, those who are going to produce its fruit. He says, wheat, it's going to be a, a time period where the wheat and the weeds grow together. They didn't understand that parable and they said, explain that parable to us. And so Jesus said this. He said, the field is the world. The field is the world. And the sower is the son of man. That's Jesus Christ. And then he said, the seed, the good seed. Can you say good seed? The good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. And so the gospel message of the kingdom of God that is proclaimed is received by hearts that are good soil because they receive it and they understand it. Those who receive the message of the gospel of the kingdom of God become kingdom seed. And then Jesus, it progresses from a message to carriers of the message because the kingdom of God is within you. Amen. And then what he does is he takes that message, you become the message, the living message, and he plants you into the field, which is the world, so that you would embrace what was triggered on Triumphal Sunday, Palm Sunday, which is the kingdom offered to the world, to those who will hear it and and acknowledge the king and receive it, he then plants you into the world. The problem is 75% are concerned about how you're going to get by. Life is tough. The world is cruel. They don't like us. The sun comes up and scorches the seed. The soil's too shallow. For those who receive, this triumphal entry Sunday is all about receiving and receiving who he is. It's incredible. Perfection point number three. Jesus goes into the the temple. After he enters Jerusalem, he enters the temple. And so what does he do? He goes into the temple, and I love this. Oh, Jesus, gentle, meek, and mild. Obviously, takes some time. This is premeditated anger. And he fashions a whip. And he goes into the temple courts. And he boots over a few tables. And he begins to whip people. Can you imagine going to a conference and the guy gets up and he goes and boots all the pastors and starts whipping them? You think he's going to get any traction or an invitation back? I don't think so. That's exactly what Jesus did. But you know, it made Jesus angry. And this is reflection point number three. What made Jesus angry was that they were doing what they were doing in the court of the Gentiles. And when Mark's gospel says, Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. They were doing a whole bunch of stuff in the court of the Gentiles. You see, the court of the Gentiles was meant to be the place where the non-Jews could gather and they could actually connect with God. They could pray. They could learn. They could see all the prophecy through all the rituals going on. They could see the prophetic promises of what was to come. And they were denied entry into that because of stuff that they were being offered by the world. By by the corrupt leaders of the day, should I say, religious leaders. And so reflection point number three is simply this. What is there in your own life? And what is there in your family, this family? Because you're living stones. You're a spiritual house. 
being built by God. And the court of the Gentiles is a, is a, is a, is a metaphor, it's a picture of the world engaging with the church. And let's be honest with one another this morning. In our own context of Aotearoa, there are many who want nothing to do with the church. Is it possibly because there is stuff in the court of the Gentiles that we are offering that is not what Christ would offer? Are there sacred cows here this morning that need, where you need to have a barbecue because there are things you are doing in your gatherings or things you are doing in your thinking and in, in your ecclesiology and your theology that prevents the LGBT community or this community or that, whatever it may be from coming into the court of the Gentiles to seeing the truth and the power of the gospel of the kingdom of God. I'm preaching to myself. I'll lead a church. The Jews wanted to shrink it. Are oh, you Lord at this time going to give the kingdom to Israel? They want, it was all about Zionism, all about us. Now there's a personal application in this thing, a reflection point. Lord, what is there in my life that would hinder a broken world? a broken woman, a broken man from actually finding Christ through me? Well, am I going to just give them a few laws in my head? I sat down with a woman last, last Sunday at our Sunday service. One of my daughters invited someone that she met in the gym and uh, brought this person through to the, to the service on Sunday. This has happened before. Uh, this, 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 the, I don't want to be unkind, but discovered that through conversation, this person was a lady. Sat down with me. She was tattooed from head to toe. I could just see brokenness uh, in, in realizing that it was a lady. She's got going through a massive identity crisis. She confessed to me that she's a lesbian. And, uh, uh, and you know, I sat there listening. And, I, you know, your file of facts in your head can go to, oh, yeah, yeah, Sodom and Gomorrah, Romans chapter 1, depravity of thinking. But, you know, my brothers and sisters, Jesus is full of grace and truth. He's not full of truth and grace. Grace always precedes the truth. And I sat listening to this beautiful woman, listening to her story, her rejection, her brokenness, coming out of the closet, struggling with identity, going through all the issues, all the angst, all the anger, anger. What do I present to her? The Ten Commandments? You see, there was humility in her heart and brokenness and a bruised reed he will never break and a smoldering wick he will never snuff out. He gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. What is in the court of the Gentiles of your life? In this farmer, in Faith City, what are we doing that would hinder New Zealand is starving for the kingdom of God? The human race is starving for the kingdom of God. They just don't know it. And we've got to make them hungry. Ellie says to me, honey, are you, are you, are you you're hungry? No, I'm not, sweetheart. I don't feel like eating. And then she starts to cook for herself. I'm like, oh, can I come and join you? Can I join you? That's what the church is. They're hungry. They don't know we're hungry. They don't know they're hungry. We've got to show them that they're hungry. And we've got to show them the way. The Jews wanted to shrink it in Acts 1, Acts 1 uh, 6 to 8. Lord, are you this time going to restore the kingdom of God to Israel? It was about Zionism. 
And forgive me, I just want to get through this very, very quickly. But you know, it was, in, it was incredible, absolutely incredible. If you look at what's gone on in the world, Genghis Khan, for example, on a, this is on a, on, a, on a corporate level. He turns around to Marco Polo and he says to Marco Polo, Marco, can you go back to your Pope and you ask your Pope uh, to send a whole bunch of teachers. And actually, and these are the words that he used. He says um, that uh, men who are well learned in the seven arts and are well able to prove that the way of Christ is the best. The Pope sent two priests and these priests said to Genghis Khan, two years later, two priests arrived. You know what they said? Become politically and ecclesiastically attached to Rome. They didn't offer the kingdom of God. You know what actually happened? Genghis Khan said, I don't want that. It's weak, insipid, boring, it's terrible. And he adopted Islam. And for decades, fire and rage swept through Asia and into Europe. What was the message? Russia on the throes of revolution. Instead of the church offering the kingdom of God on earth now to Russia, a church council was busy debating what color the vestments should be in their services and in their ecclesiastical hierarchy while Russia was burning. We know the story. Russia turned red. The church offered them vestments, ecclesiology, Germany, the vacuum in Germany. The church in Germany offered a broken Germany. It didn't give them the fullness and the glory of the, of the kingdom of God that Christ was offering when he came on the triumphal entry. What actually happened? There was a vacuum because the German church offered salvation and, and, and eternal security once you die, but there was a vacuum in between. Jesus wanted the kingdom to come now and not yet, if you understand what I'm, what I'm saying. And so what actually happened? The, German, the Germans threw Adolf Hitler in a time of their crisis. We know the story. It's a terrible, terrible, terrible story. What has America done? America, through its own turmoil, offered the American dream. Offered the American dream. They put mammon as supreme all about mammon is supreme. And so today you wonder why the church is, is, is in such conflict and there's such raging against the church. Are we offering the gospel of the kingdom of God? Are we offering the gospel of the kingdom? Are we demonstrating the gospel of the kingdom? Are we a people who produce its fruit of righteousness and joy and peace and justice and mercy and power and wisdom? And unity and love. What are we debating over premillennialism, postmillennialism, Calvinism, Armenianism? Have we are surrounding ourselves with our gurus who are building altars with stones of, of different orthodoxies and practices and we're building these wonderful stones and we got all these teachers. The church is not devoid of teachers who are building stone upon stone, stone upon stone and building beautiful altars and discussing the altars and are completely blind to the fact there's no fire on the altar that's being built because the gospel of the kingdom of God is about the rule and reign of God and it is wise, it is powerful, it is glorious, it is majestic. Amen? I'm excited. What a possibility we've got. And so let me close with that. Fascism put the state supreme. Nazism put the races supreme. Communism made the proletariat supreme. Capitalism's made money supreme. What has the church of Jesus Christ made supreme? 
New Zealand is waiting for a church to be ignited once again with the power of the truth, of the gospel, of the reign of Jesus Christ, of the king and his kingdom. Isn't that awesome? So those are the three reflection points under what does this passage of the triumphal entry, what does it mean? Those are three reflection points for me. For me as a leader, for me as a husband, as a man, is to take this Palm Sunday opportunity to wrestle with these things. And I encourage you to do the same. I encourage you to to reflect on the court of the Gentiles. What does it mean for us? What does it mean for me? What am I doing? What is Michael doing in his life that would hinder and prevent a broken, dying world from coming to Christ through me?